Hello, welcome to the Not The Top 20 podcast, the Monday pod with me, Ali Maxwell, and him, George Ehrlich. We talk all things EFL, and it is a hell of a Monday to be talking all things EFL with you. This podcast is sponsored by Betfair. A huge thank you to them for their continued support of this podcast. It feels better, George, today than perhaps on any other Monday of this season, because I'm saying definitively that was the best weekend of the 21-22 EFL season so far. Opta confirming to us this morning that the 12 goals scored across the Championship, League One and League Two on Saturday in injury time was the most on a single day since March the 2nd of 2019, where there were also 12. I think nine of those on Saturday were either equalisers or winners and that's not even including Birmingham's 86th minute equaliser, Accrington's 84th minute equaliser with 10 men, Bradford going ahead on 85, QPR winning it on 89 against West Brom. It was a hell of a day and George, it must have been absolute chaos at Quest headquarters. Not that you'd have known it from the slick show you guys put out at (laughs) 9pm. Yeah, I mean, Colin, remarkably, after Cal Smith scored the winner against Bournemouth for Luton in, you know, with the last kick of the game, in the early game. So this is, you know, before the three o'clock kickoffs. Colin said then and there, he was like, the close is going to be last minute goals then. And I was like, it's a bit premature, isn't it? Like, we don't know what's going to happen. Well, I mean, not only was there last minute goals, there was there was too many for us to actually show uh, in the closer. So, yeah, uh, some decent foresight from him. I had a great time sitting, sitting next to Ian Ollie Holloway. I must take credit, I'm afraid. He he, he said a, a classic Ollie line, as a few people on social media said, about a Nicky Cadden going down easier than a, a glass of wine at a Downing Street party. That was actually my joke. We thought it'd be better if Ollie said it. I love this. I love this. I think you just need to be happy that someone said it. I'm not sure we need you to be, you know, telling the nation that it was you rather than Ian Ollie Holloway. Well, but... It's just, it, it's only for the listeners here, you know, not, you know, not everyone's going to know. It's just if that, you know, when, when the next iteration of classic quotes by Ian Holloway is, is printed, I'll be looking out to see if my joke's in there. Wow. You've bigged yourself up quite a lot before an hour's worth of EFL action. We're hoping for similarly lyrical phrasing from you. Maybe some topical puns as part of our weekend recap. Let's see how we go. We're going to get on to all of the above on today's episode. So much excitement from the weekend. But we also have a special segment dedicated to understanding better the situation at Derby County, which seemed to take another twist and then another and then another since we last spoke. Uh, We're going to talk to Nigel Owen, who is a member of the Black and White Together supporter group that's dedicated to Derby County. And he is going to hopefully clarify the myriad questions that have prevailed over the last few months and the new ones that have sprung up over the last few days. We're going to start with a championship review, then a Derby County segment, then move to League One and League Two. The time codes are in the description. They always are if you want to listen in a different order to the one that we've chosen. Let's get into it, George. In the championship, I think we have to start with a team that, since we last spoke on Monday, have scored 13 league goals. Um, some teams in the EFL have only scored 17 or 18 in the whole season. Fulham with 13 in two games, 7-0 against Reading, followed up by a crazy, entertaining 6-2 win against Bristol City, in which they were behind twice in the first half and also 4-2 up at half-time. Or was it 5-2? Might have even been 5-2. 5-2. Another crazy game, and Fulham continuing to do stuff at a level that we haven't really seen much before, uh, Mitro in particular. Yeah, they were 
impressive. You know, they were very good. I, I think the, the game spiralled into the, the mayhem, unlike the, the Reading game where um, in midweek, because obviously we haven't really spoken about the fact that in midweek Fulham also beat um, Reading 7-0 because of the, the way this podcast works. Um, but for them to score uh, 13, well, 12 goals in three halves of football was pretty impressive but in fairness to, to Bristol City uh, the reason why this descended into the mayhem that it did was because Bristol City played their part you know we had Semenyo um, scoring twice the second was a, was a brilliant goal uh, Alex Scott also doing very well for the assist with the first getting the ball and breaking very very quickly um, two good counter-attacks and you know offering more I, I know Andy Carroll scored one of the great disallowed braces of all time in the midweek game but you know Bristol City were were level um, up until the 35th minute in that in this game, and I think it was their attacking intent that that kind of led to the carnage that came because goals normally breed goals, and at the end of the first half um, descended into mayhem. Mitro showing how good he is, you know, it was it was something we spoke about on the show on Saturday, where not only for his first two goals but also for the assist for Cabano's first as well. All three of them are a proper grey area fouls. You know, in all three of them, he he has his hands planted directly on the back of the of the player he's out jumping. It's not obvious enough to be given a foul. The player doesn't really fall over. They probably don't even know they've been fouled. Um, but there's no there's no denying it. it's not just a great leap. It is very, very clever um, number nine play that, that means that he is able to to rise as high as he does to get his head on the ball. Uh, the finish for his hatchet goal was, was superb. The touch for Cabano's second goal was immense. The individual skill and finishing ability for Fabio Carvalho was also very impressive. Um, so much quality running through the the side and the the uh, the performance. The only disappointing thing from my book was that they didn't. Well, from a neutral's point of view, was that the goal stopped at 57 minutes. Hmm. Mitro now has 27 league goals. That is more than 17 teams have managed in the EFL so far this season. We're over halfway through the season. I I take your point about how handsy he can be, but I think we should point out how impressive his finishing ability with his head is. I know it's a given. I know we've seen it now for multiple years, but I still think it's worth repeating because heading finishing is really difficult and he scores the type of headers that no one really scores anymore uh, because there aren't many strikers who can who can rise above uh, centre-backs these days and uh, you know by hook or by crook as you've as you've noted but the precision with his finishing is absolutely incredible always either whether it's a glance or a powerful um, sort of more more full frontal header uh, always seems to find the corner. He's got eight headed goals this season. I think the next best in the championship is five. Uh, and his third, as you mentioned, the left foot banger into the top corner. That was something new uh, for sure. But I, I want to leave with a positive from Bristol City because uh, actually two teams have conceded more goals against Fulham this season, Reading and, and Blackburn, of course. And what we saw from Semenyo was highly notable, I think. Uh, two brilliant goals sensational forward play for both you know enjoying the spaces that Fulham's defense give up because Fulham don't have many defenders for the most part they they spend their time attacking but explosive pace good ball carrying at speed while holding off defenders as well and both finishes one with his left one with his right you know a bit of extra power pure precision as well no chance for the goalkeeper both times really exciting his emergence as Bristol City's starter and I think I'm ready to say that definitively now that he has Chris Martin's shirt uh, is really exciting just like a lot of the other youngsters that we've mentioned uh, Ben Arus and Scott etc 
Semenyo is added to the list and, and if he can more confidently and more consistently do that sort of thing, then we're looking at a player who has a real skill set as a number nine at championship level and who knows, maybe beyond. Uh, let's go to the team who are now in second place. They're called Blackburn Rovers, George. They went to Cardiff and left with all three. Probably not one of the games that if they do achieve a remarkable promotion, the poets probably won't write sonnets about this one, but it counts just as well as a free-flowing dominant win. Uh, tell me about the game. Did they deserve it? How did it go? Yeah, ill-tempered game. 12 yellows and a red. Although, the, I mean, the, the, the second yellow for Ryan Ayambe was, was incredibly um, soft, I would say. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a classic performance from Blackburn. Um, they've been better this season. Uh, I think they'll have to improve from what we saw on Saturday, if they are to maintain the run of form they're on at the moment, and and either well, I mean they like to finish in the top six, but maintain their promotion, automatic promotion challenge. What we should say is that there was one real moment of quality in what was a, a game lacking in much quality, and that was from Joe Rothwell, who's um, never before has a a goal been marked up so much off the back of a replay because live it just looked like he. Um, you know, there was the parting of the of the Cardiff Sea, and he ran into it, and then just slotted the ball into the corner. But from behind, you could see the whip that he put it on it in order to get it around Smithies. He is a player who is coming into form at probably well a very good time for Blackburn in terms of what they're doing this season. Um, but that contracts a very good time issue. for his next weekly wage. Yeah, um, I would be. I think it's getting to the stage now where I'd be quite surprised if Joe Rothwell is playing in the championship for Blackburn next season. I guess there's a chance that if they do go up, um, the contract issue may be sorted at a time where he's, they are able to offer him Premier League football, if that's the case. Uh, but he is one of those players who he's been a, a feature of their side for a long time now, um, but he has stepped up massively in, in recent weeks. And you're now considering him surely as one of the best kind of ball-playing, ball-carrying centre midfielders in the championship, um, which is a, a big step up. But it's a, it's the back three again, really, for Blackburn. You know, we talk so much about Ben Britt and Diaz. We speak there about Rothwell. Buckley's come in for a lot of credit recently, as has um, Kadra. But that Lenehan, Van Hecker, Wharton back three, ever since that 7-0 against, um, against Fulham has been so impressive. And again, all three were absolute colossus here, especially standing up to, to Cardiff's onslaught. Well, I mean, it wasn't a massive onslaught, but they're... Um, you know, they certainly tried to turn the screw when it was 11 v 10, but to no massive avail. Um, frustratingly, Ryan Wintle, having, you know, forced his way back into the reckoning at Cardiff, started centre midfield and didn't have a great game. Um, but, you know, for Cardiff, it, there'll be more frustration. As I said in our in our pod last week, they are the one side who it does feel like need to get some points on the board pretty quickly because if there is going to be um, a, a turnaround of form from from Peterborough, um, or if Derby continuing uh, continue to pick up as many points there at the moment, then then they look like they could be the ones to be shot at along with Reading. So um, disappointing for them, but as I say, for for Blackburn, it's another three points. But they, you know, they probably have to improve on that in, as an attacking force if they're going to continue the way they are. In their next six, they've got to play Borough, Luton, Forest, and West Brom. We're going to know a lot more about this Rovers side and their automatic promotion credentials in four weeks' time. Uh, in and amongst it, alongside them, or just beneath them, we now have Queen's Park Rangers. They beat West Brom 1-0. This was, uh, in the context of the league table, something of a six-pointer, and QPR picked up all three. Former Baggies striker Charlie Austin, who is 
always box office against former clubs. Looked a touch offside, if I'm honest, when scoring from Chris Willock's assist. No surprise there that Willock stepping up in the absence of Ilias Chair, taking on even more of a responsibility creatively and as a goal threat and thriving. He found a little bit of room as he does so well and delivered a cross of, of huge quality, uh, quality from outside the box on the right-hand side, curved away from the defenders, not able for the goalkeeper to co- collect it onto the head of Austin, six yards out. Brilliant goal. Incredible atmosphere after this one, George, because the QPR fans know that whatever happens from this point, they've got a pretty special side and they're very much enjoying what they are providing on the pitch for them. Uh, As for Baggies, it's another one, isn't it? Not great here. Not terrible, but not great. And certainly still allergic to finishing off their chances. (laughs) Yeah, they are. Um, It was... I mean, there'll be, there'll be frustration from them because uh, they will feel like in the game they probably had enough um, about them to to get ahead and to concede as late as they did. It wasn't an injury time goal. It was an 89th minute goal from Charlie Austin that, um, that won the game. Uh, Austin scoring against his old club, of course. Daryl DK came on for his debut with half an hour to play. He, he didn't really look like scoring, but he definitely had a, a pretty big impact. Um, you know, that was the, the best spell for, for Baggies was the half an hour after he came on until they conceded um, straight away. He won a, a classic Daryl DK kind of battering header that set um, Carlin Grant free. He then squared a ball for Jake Livermore that was put over the bar. I think he is going to make some difference in terms of them as an attacking unit. But even with him on the pitch, um, he was still creating chances, which they often do, but it's just putting them away. That's the issue. Although I'm sure he will get chances to show his own um, goal scoring ability at some point. But I think, you know, it, it's easy to to focus on West Brom here because it's another disappointing result. But I think QPR have to be the story because they are a side who um, were enduring a, a, a poor run towards the end of the, of the calendar year. It looked like they maybe um, were going to drop away a little bit, but three consecutive wins against Bristol City and Birmingham away wins. Um, and then, you know, to beat Baggies at home is impressive. They've got a, a big game against Coventry away on this upcoming weekend, uh, which is you know two sides who still have pretty similar aspirations, although QPR clearly in a in a more dominant position at the moment to have that promotion push. Um, but it'll be a good barometer of where they are. Um, but yeah, for for West Brom, it was interesting because at the start of the season they were struggling at the Hawthorns and, and performing well away from home, and now uh, you know away from home that's that's not really the case anymore. Their recent form is poor, so um, you know we I, I'm I'm still fairly confident. And I think there's there's a, even though the fan base at West Brom aren't particularly happy with um, with Ishmael's reign at the moment, as I mentioned, uh, I think the DK signing shows some stability. It would be very surprising to see them bring in Daryl DK and then dispense with um, with Valerian Ishmael straight after. So uh, I'm sure things will improve fairly soon. The big symbol of this QPR win was not necessarily Charlie Austin celebrating a goal against his former club. It was Le Boucher, Johan Barbet. And I call him Le Boucher because that is Butcher in French. And he was Terry Butcher reincarnate, cutting his head on an advertising hoarding after being shoved somewhat by DK in a in a shoulder barge at best um, and a cynical shove at worst. I will let the viewers decide. Uh, but Barbe got himself strapped back up uh, and put in a brilliant defensive performance. And... His, the beauty of his left foot and his 
Gallic handsomeness have never been in question, I think, to anyone who's followed his career, particularly uh, in England. What has often been in question, George, has been his competence in as a pure defender uh, in, in old school English English fashion. Um, but I think whether it's Dickie or Dunn, whoever it is, has rubbed off on him. Maybe it's Warburton's coaching because he certainly seems to have improved on that front and not become um, someone who used to be considered something of a weakness uh, in defence. Dare I say it, playing on the left side of a back three um, brings out the best of him and he was excellent here. Uh, what a game between Luton and Bournemouth in the early game. This really got the weekend up and running and it didn't really stop from this point. 3-2 win for Luton, who flew out the traps. Uh, an own goal from Lloyd Kelly, who's now scored an own goal in both Luton-Bournemouth games this season. I think I saw a Luton fan earlier say he's their fifth top scorer <laughs> with two goals. And the second goal from Alan Campbell, who obviously joining from Scotland in the summer, known as someone tenacious, who'd be excellent for Luton's press, who Jones clearly loves uh, in that role. I hadn't seen him offer this so far, bursting forward from midfield, kind of Frank Lampard-esque, low shot from range, using the defender to screen the goalkeeper uh, and make him unsighted. Brilliant finish uh, after, I should say, Cal Naismith had played a very eye-catching, line-breaking pass from the heart of defence which looks risky, um, but came with a great reward as well with Campbell moving into space. And then the second half, Cherries came roaring back. Really impressive spell they had, including two very good goals, you have to say, back level. And we wondered how it would finish. Maybe they would carry on that in-game momentum uh, and, and get a winner. But no, it was time for Cal Naismith, George, to move into the minds of the masses watching on TV because Naismith in the eyes of Luton fans has been godlike for many months now but I think this was his arrival on the on the wider scene um, the centre-back for Luton with four perfect touches to win them the game chesting it down in the midst of last second mayhem uh, with a great first touch on his chest a dummy shot to send Lerma flying a quick touch onto his left foot to set up the shot and then perfect precision to finish through bodies he didn't just smash it as hard as you can which a lot of players do uh, in the 96th minute he just caressed it into the corner absolutely sensational scenes a brilliant uh, certainly if you're a Luton fan um, sort of knee slide from Nathan Jones where he jumped about 10 feet in the air uh, before landing on his knees and just uh, so good to see I saw Luton fans saying this will probably be in, in like a top five top 10 games they've ever been to for some of them mm. just because of everything that came with it and, and the ending to it and I just want to say Naismith is a new entry into my team of the season so far uh, he's yeah. in for Harry Suter drops out, regrettably, due to his long-term injury. He won't be eligible for, for the end-of-season gong, so I'm slotting Naismith into my back three because he's doing it all, and it's confusing that he's doing it all because he, he wasn't a centre-back until about a year ago. Uh, he, he was a winger when we first got to know him, about five, six years ago, wasn't he? At, at Pompey and then at Wigan, yeah. Accrington as well. He's so good at football that each season he has to choose a new position to play just to keep himself entertained, just to keep him himself occupied. You know, yeah, I'll be a I'll be a direct winger with a goal threat and good delivery. I'll be a fullback if you want, I guess. I'll, I'll learn the I'll learn the defensive side of the game. And now I'd like to be a ball playing, aerially dominant centre back who can carry it forward, who can play defence splitting passes. Uh, who can defend and who can score wonderful goals as well. Absolutely sensational. Um, that's all I have to say on the matter. That was one of many things that made me very, very happy this weekend. Uh, Reading went to Middlesbrough. Tails between their legs. A lot of dismay amongst the fan base after a 7-0 defeat in midweek to Fulham. And they did lose to Borough. And yet, they put up a really good fight. They, they, you know, if 
arguably the worst way to lose after a 7-0 embarrassment in the eyes of their fans, albeit against a good team, is to lose in the most heartbreaking manner when you might have felt like you'd done enough to earn a point. It shows, George, in terms of Borough, how high expectations are already under Wilder, that this felt like an underwhelming performance, even though they still won the game. I think we kind of expected a greater level of dominance, but that did not matter to the Borough fans who caused Teesside to tremor after Matt Fritz <laughs> won it in injury time. Yeah, Reading were good. I think that's the key thing to focus on here, rather than <clears throat> being too concerned about Middlesbrough's um, inability to see them off until the 94th minute. Uh, Reading came out and were well-organised defensively. They were caused issues going forward. Um, they probably put up more of a fight to Borough than many teams we've seen um, at the Riverside. And, and I know some people might think, well, hold on, this is a team that got beat 7-0 in midweek. Yes, that is true. But the, the levels of performance between the two um, was... Okay, in part probably down to the quality of the opposition, but much more to do with them raising their game. Um, you mentioned Mitrovic's ability to score, well, his, his finishing ability with his head. I mean, Andy Carroll's header um, for the opening goal was as good as you'll see. It's one of those headers where there's probably only one trajectory and one area where he can put it in order for it to be a goal, and he managed to find it. He is, again, it's not what I expected to be saying on Not the Top 20 podcast in 2021-2022 season, but Andy Carroll is proving himself to be a massive handful and I've seen some reports thinking him with a move to Burnley to I think his contract's um, up today the short term contract to replace Chris Wood there's no there's no um, concrete info as to what will happen but it's just it is genuinely just one thing after another for Reading fans right now like they've just found joy in the in the divine ponytail of Andy Carroll and he might be going to replace Chris Wood and start games in the Premier League which Mm. as you mentioned even three months ago when he didn't have a club would have seemed insane yeah, and even last season when he was he was a Newcastle player, and when he came on, he was a bit of a joke figure. You know, he is he's impacting games, he's scoring goals, he looks fit, and um, like he hasn't really lost any of his technical ability. So I'm not really sure how he wasn't being used last season by Steve Bruce at Newcastle, but that is for another podcast. Um, Middlesbrough, I mean, Matt Crooks has been in a you know a, a couple of months of heroes at Borough led by uh, Chris Wilder although I'm not particularly popular right now with Borough fans because um, they're all telling me that I'm um that I need to shut up by praising their manager on social media by saying that he should be managing Everton um it's a compliment not a you know I'm not actually yet suggesting that that will happen um but yeah Crooks has been has been immense uh, he's incredibly popular at uh, Borough, he has an amazing skill set where, as we saw here, not only is he a massive goal threat, he's so good aerially, uh, but he is also a, a player who is able to play um, with the ball on the ground as well. And therefore, he fits into exactly what Chris Wilder is trying to do. Isaiah Jones with the, um, with the assist for the second goal. I'm still just, dizzy it, having watched how quick his, his feet were, the double step over. I mean, he, he, he's absolutely super for a hot dog, poor lad. Um, he is, yeah, he, he's class. And, you know, to do that in the 94th minute with everything at stake, um, to have that composure and the presence of mind and then the quality to pull off the assist. Can uh, we talk about it, how it, bizarre this situation is that Jed Spence on loan at Forest from Borough, right wing back, thriving in the three at the back system, is being linked with Inter Milan, Arsenal, someone else quite exotic, mm. and Chrissy Wilder, the Borough players, and all of the fans are like, yeah, cool. Don't want him. Don't there want seems him. We've to got be, a better one. There seems to be a suggestion that Spence has effectively told Barra that he has no interest in playing there again. Um, 
which might have a fair bit to do with it. Um, he probably knows he wouldn't get in the team anyway. He'd have more chance. He'd have more chance getting into the Arsenal side than he would the Borough side. That's how good Isaiah Jones is. Although he uh, wouldn't be eligible this season because he's already played for two teams. Oh no! Yeah, uh, poor Djed. But anyway, we digress. Um, it wasn't a great performance from Borough. Um, they, they, you know, it's kind of what I said about Blackburn. They'll have to to improve a bit, but that. We have to give credit for Reading for, for making it very difficult for them in what is very difficult circumstances. I said on the betting show that I was surprised that Vyko Panovic had lasted the week, um, but we saw a bit of fight in that performance, although you know the, the pressure is certainly going to crank up again. Um, they host Luton in midweek, which is you, you think is going to be difficult, and if things don't go too well there, um, he's going to come under pressure again. I'm not sure I've ever seen a season's worth of Oh, a half season's worth of injuries and absences like uh, like Reading have suffered. And that's why I'm finding it quite difficult to to focus on him as as even one of the top three issues at the club. So that, that doesn't mean he's the right man to take them forward and to turn around what is a miserable run of form. I just, for me, that's that's not the main focus right now. Like the way the club has been run, um, everything that's come from that. And then frankly, the, the insane, insane injuries that they've had to deal with. I, I can't. I can't quite believe it. I've not really seen anything like it. Um, one of our injury time winners came at the Den. It was scored by Lewis Graben. George, Brennan Johnson, Zinkenagel and Graben have just been a delightful combination, haven't they? Since Steve Cooper joined Nottingham Forest and this was that combination uh, made flesh, combining with Johnson driving forward, Zinkenagel making a clever run, Brennan Johnson finding him, a zinc shot parried to Graben to tap in. I think Benneke Fobe will probably rue a big missed chance at nil-nil. I feel like the chances were kind of shared around here. Um, but a big, big win from Forrest after two straight defeats in the league had put a decent chunk between themselves and the playoffs, as we discussed last week on the mid-season predictions podcast. But a huge three points at a place where, anecdotally, teams don't often go and win. Uh, I'm very pleased to see that, on recent evidence, uh, it looks like I was wrong about Keenan Davis uh, maybe not getting many starts, many minutes for Forrest on that on that loan move. I thought Graben's place was pretty bulletproof, um, but maybe he just needed a rest. Davis started in the in the cup, didn't he, against, against Arsenal, played a, a good game uh, and then started again here. I'm seeing lots of good noises uh, from Forrest fans on social media, which I'm delighted about because I really think he's, a, he's not a unique player. There are other players of his ilk, but in the game of football and in the EFL particularly, I think he's an incredible... Uh, he's a player with incredible potential because of what he can offer um, yeah. uh, all round with his back to goal. Um, and it looks like from when we saw him play for Villa a fair bit in the 17-18 season, he's developed a lot from that point, uh, unsurprisingly, really. Uh, and now looks to be skillful, carry it, speedy. Um, the goals will come. I'm pretty confident of that. So I'm feeling good about that signing now. Just on Forrest, I mean, I, I agree with you. And it was interesting to see that Graben and, and Davis both started with Graben kind of occupying a bit of a deeper role whilst Davis was on the pitch, then pushing forward uh, when Zinkenagel came on with 15 minutes to go, suggesting that I think Cooper's going to try and play them both. And Davis had a massive impact on the game. And, and in terms of what you said about um, Millwall being a tough place to go, I, I can't, even though... Um, they only won the game 1-0 and it took a, an injury time goal. They battered them, like totally and utterly battered them. Um, I think the expected goals for Forrest was 3.77. Um, not many teams go to the den and do that. So that was certainly a performance. Um, and as you mentioned, with Davis playing so well and, and with Cooper managing to find a system that manages to accommodate the players and with Zinkenagel making an impact coming off the bench, um, it's a performance to take note of, I would say. 
Mm. And Steve Cook going straight into the heart of the back three, uh, starting against Arsenal, starting here, looking very comfortable, as you would expect. Big winners were Coventry, who went to Peterborough and won 4-1 here, George. Uh, from the looks of the highlights, we saw some lovely bits and bobs from Gustavo Harmer. We saw Matty Godden at the double against his, his former club and uh, a, a comfortable win for a commentary side that, that just needed a comfortable win. I think they'd, they'd uh, in their previous six league games, drawn four, lost two, no wins. And I don't think either of us thought that the performances were that bad, but maybe a bit of slippage at both ends, a bit of drop-off going forward, uh, just a little bit looser defensively. You know, it's hard to maintain their own lofty standards that they set at the, at the start of the season with such a fast start over a long period of time. Um, but certainly didn't think the performances were as concerning as maybe the, the points return suggested, and they're back with a bang here. It was a mismatch, basically, between two sides. Uh, Coventry were so far clear of Peterborough. I mean, George Grant scored a lovely goal from for Posh, but in the terms of the, the general way the game, um, Peterborough were unable to create much of, of any note throughout, and uh, Coventry... Certainly, um, even when they went one ahead, were happy to continue attacking and they continued to, to create chances. Uh, Callum O'Hare probably should have scored at least one. He missed a couple of, of, of very good chances hitting the post. They hit the woodwork a couple of times. Again, expect a goal of, goals of 2.77. Um, yeah, if there was a game and a performance to um, turn a bit of a corner and to show that any doubts around recent form and staying power were, were, were misled, then, then this was it. But for Peterborough... If you're a posh fan, you've got to be pretty concerned. You know, these are two sides who, you know, Coventry were a side who were uh, last season um, down around just, just clear of the relegation zone. There hasn't been massive uh, investment. There probably isn't a, a great deal um, in terms of finances between the two clubs. Coventry probably the the side that Peterborough are trying to emulate in terms of, of coming up through the leagues and, and, you know, turning into a sustainable championship side. Massive golf between the two. Massive golf. And if you're Peterborough, there was nothing in this Peterborough performance. These are the kind of games at home to, yes, a side who are higher up, the, higher up the table. But you've got to be competitive in these games if you're going to be, have a chance of staying up in their position. And they were, were miles off it. Um, so, yeah, a, a dominant performance from Coventry. And, and yeah, as I say, the, the Coventry QPR game feels significant now. Um, two teams who are playing very well, who like to attack and get the ball forward. I would be surprised if... Um, it wasn't a very, very good game to uh, to watch. Coventry QPR, then Coventry Stoke, then Coventry Middlesbrough. Big next three for Cov. Good to get a confidence-boosting win in uh, in before those games. You'd think that might be Di Cornell's last start for, for Peterborough. Um, uh, mm. Sven Bender, I almost called him. Stephen Bender <laughs> uh, comes in on loan from Swansea. Uh, Swansea obviously signing Andrew Fisher from MK Dons. MK Dons plucking Jamie Cumming out of Gillingham back to Chelsea, back to Milton Keynes. There's been a, a bit of a chain reaction in, in goalkeeper terms on that front, but uh, you'd think Posh going after someone like Bender so early on in the window um, that that was a position that they were looking to upgrade immediately. Cornell you know, hasn't done horrendously. That was his 17th start of the season after Christy Pym and, and Darren Ferguson fell out spectacularly and Pym was uh, ostracised immediately. He's now gone to Stevenage, uh, which feels strange after uh, how well he's performed at League One level uh, over the last few years. But there we go. And Dykornell filling in, but 
at this level, well, he's never played at this level before. Um, a hundred of his 140 odd English league games have been uh, at League Two level at this point, and uh, I think that was always an area where Posh looked particularly weak. And, and unfortunately, his performance in the first half here didn't go any way to uh, making Bender's life a bit harder when it comes to getting into the squad. Uh, Hull nil, Stoke two. This one on Sunday. Uh, and in truth, George, quite an easy win for Stoke City, which is exactly what they needed after an iffy few weeks. Uh, I think you you mentioned yourself at, uh, at some point last week that for Michael O'Neill, this was a, a much bigger game personally and for his grip on things perhaps um, than it looked on paper, maybe. Uh, and, and they had it pretty easy. So good performance, sure, that they did what they needed to do. A 2-0 away win anywhere in the championship uh, deserves praise. But watching this back, I couldn't believe how open Hull were. Um, mm. It was very bizarre. <clears throat> Hull this season... When they've been poor, mostly that's been a, a lack of attacking threat, which they seem to have fixed somewhat in the last few weeks. Uh, and maybe it's because they've got attacking players like Keen Lewis Potter and Ryan Longman playing in, in at wing backs in a in a three five two. Um, we saw the, the flip side of that: Stoke pretty ruthlessly exploiting um, both the the wide defensive areas for Hull, uh, but also finding a lot of space in behind the, the movement of Jacob Brown and Young Dimaggio Wright Phillips was way too much for Hull City to handle. This is so exciting. DiMaggio Wright-Phillips, son of Sean Wright-Phillips, grandson of Ian Wright. I'm sure Bradley Wright-Phillips would like me to point out, <laughs> nephew of Bradley Wright-Phillips. First league start and caught the eye, didn't he? Played up top with, with Jacob Brown. He's diminutive. He, he reminds me a little bit, just to give a, a comparison for those who haven't seen him yet. Um, he's a little bit bigger than Tyrese Dolan, but but moves his legs with the same incredible speed as Tyrese Dolan. Um, he played as a sort of wide mobile forward and played very well. One run in particular, uh, he dropped in actually to receive the ball to feet with the defender up against him. He rolled him, shrugged him off, um, dipped inside two more defenders, was brought down for a free kick. That was quite early on. He was involved in the first goal as well, scampering into the channel to retain the ball, to to, to keep the ball, start the attack. And he was, he was in the box. Uh, if Jacob Brown hadn't headed home, I think he might have finished it off. At uh, one point as well, he danced past Deshaun Bernard. Not many attackers in the championship had done that this season. He hit a rasping strike from range just over, but showed good technique and power. Uh, and then he probably could have done a little bit better with a, he was sort of leading a, a two or a three on one counter-attack. Uh, and he just, he wasn't precise enough with his pass and it was cut out by the defender. So a really exciting performance. Um, and yeah, it's funny, Stoke have had a pretty poor reputation for how they've built their squad since they've been in the championship, tending to go for, you know, more experienced players, perhaps not on an upwards trajectory in their career on very high wages that haven't contributed to a, a thriving dressing room, shall we say. Uh, now you look at a, t a side that have a lot of quite exciting young players mixed with some experience as well. Players like Tymon, Tyrese Campbell, DiMaggio Wright-Phillips, etc., uh, they could be the future of this club, and uh, it was really good to see. Also, nice to see Sam Klukas getting two good assists here. Um, the way a couple of Stoke fans were talking about him on Twitter when I was tweeting about the Lewis Baker signing on Friday night, uh, you'd have thought Klukas was no better than a pub player. Um, but he certainly loves a game against a former club, doesn't he? And he, he showed that here, getting two assists. Very nicely done. Right, time for a slight change of speed here, because here's a chat between George and Nigel Owen. They'll be talking about the situation at Derby County for the next 20 minutes or so. And after that, we'll find out what happened at Pride Park on Saturday. 
yeah, delighted to be joined by Nigel Owen on the pod now, a member of Black and White Together, a supporter group dedicated to Derby County. And, we're, you know, we're going to get into um, all of the complicated parts, I guess, and ask you to explain and make a case, I guess, as well as to why what is going on at Derby County has to be resolved fairly soon. But for those who haven't been following um, the, the recent developments at the club, can you explain what the latest is? Because halfway through last week, Wayne Rooney was saying in a press conference that he expected the preferred bidder to be announced within 24 hours and it felt like everything might be drawing towards a resolution uh, at the club. But in the, in the days after that, it's all unravelled again. Yeah, I think as Derby fans, we've got used to uh, not building up our expectations, even when Wayne says what he said on on Thursday. But um, the latest twist seems to be that, yeah, and this is where it's got quite complicated, is you've had statements out from both the administrator and from the EFL, both essentially blaming each other, um, although you have to read into the real detail and perhaps what's not said in those to, to work out fully what's going on. Um, and it seems like there's a bit of an impasse at the moment. Um, uh, the EFL are asking for proof of funds that Derby can continue as a business until the end of the season and fulfil the fixtures. Um, the ad, the administrator is saying that they have shown that plan to the EFL, but that the EFL, in their um, opinions and decisions around the legal cases from Middlesbrough and Wickham, which you may come on to later in the conversation, um, that's blocking Derby moving towards a preferred bidder who would be the one then that would put £5 million into the club, which would be the funds that would guarantee seeing out this season. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to say at the top of this as well, because, you know, I, I spoke about this on EFL on Quest on Saturday night, uh, tweeted about it a bit, a bit yesterday, and quite a few of the, um, you know, obviously an overwhelmingly positive reaction from Derby fans to get the story some coverage, but quite a few people said, yeah, it's all well and good covering it, but why aren't the wider media, why aren't people um, looking into the actual values themselves of the claims from Wickham and, and, and Middlesbrough? And what I would say to that is that this is um, quite testy waters, really, because they are legal cases. Um, you know, I, I, we don't really want Steve Gibson um, sending us a cease and desist letter in the next couple of days. You know, it, it is difficult. So as much as I would love to be able to um, look at the merits of the claims, I, I don't want a lawsuit uh, coming up fairly soon. So we have to be fairly careful. And the same was, was you know, on EFL and Quest as well. I said it there, you know, it, it's difficult when you're talking about ongoing legal cases to, to make much of a stance on what um, we believe to be fair and unfair. And that will obviously get decided or, or may get decided uh, at some point time in the future you know in, in arbitration or whatever um but what i will say let's talk about the claims themselves because there's a claim from from wickham uh, and a claim from middlesbrough in terms of, of loss of earnings and the wickham claim for reportedly a, a much smaller amount than the borough one seems pretty easy to understand you know wickham were um the club who finished directly be below derby in the championship last season they will feel like given when the um offences uh, from Mel Morris in terms of the amortisation applied if, they'd, if the punishment had been applied at the time then they would have been um, they'd have retained their championship status and therefore the money with it so that seems fairly obvious but the Middlesbrough one seems a bit more difficult to understand Nigel and and keeping in mind what I just said about not wanting to to upset the apple cart too much I mean what can you tell us about about their stance and, and in terms of why they feel like they deserve some compensation from Derby? Sure. Let me just give you one comment on the Wickham one, because this seems to be the general thought on, on the Wickham one is, 
I think everybody gets exactly the, the case that you've put out there. The question everybody would have, therefore, is why is Wickham's claim with Derby County and not with the EFL? There are rules around timings for appeals, for hearing of sentencing, etc., etc. As far as I'm aware, Derby haven't been punished for breaching any of those dates and timelines in there. So if there is anybody at fault, it must be the EFL for imposing their own rules or Wickham don't like the way the rules are and the rules need changing. So that's the Wickham one, but I'll part that one there. Um, so Middlesbrough's claim, um, again, it's not quite as straightforward. There's, you have to unpack it all. Um, yeah, Middlesbrough's claim is that in Derby, um, you know, breaching financial fair play, Derby therefore achieved more points in that season, um, much like Wickham were last season, the club below Derby. Middlesbrough in one of those seasons were the club immediately below Derby. If Derby hadn't financially cheated, if you want to use that phrase, um, to get into the playoffs, then Middlesbrough would have got in the playoffs and would have had a chance, and I think we have to put it at that, a chance of getting into um, the Premier League from there. So what Steve Gibson appears to have said is that um, the value of the claim is based on what he believes the chance of Middlesbrough beating Leeds in the semi-final was, and then Aston Villa in the final of the playoffs, and the percentage chance of that multiplied by what he believes the income would have been if they got to the Premier League. The number being thrown around, I've got no more access to it than you, is somewhere between 40 to 50 million. Yeah, again, I don't think, yeah, at the moment, the value of the number is not really what the problem is for Derby. It's the fact that the claim is there um, and how it's being seen by the EFL as a football creditor, which has issues with how it will be dealt with in administration. Um, and it seems that the EFL are not allowing um, the administrator to go down the route they wanted to, which was to cram these claims um, into the restructuring um, framework that they wanted to use to bring Derby out, which would mean that the cases were never heard in a court of law. They would allocate a small nominal amount to them. Um, and then once the restructuring is approved in a court of law, that's how it would be. It seems that the EFL are insisting that uh, on the rights of their members to bring a case. So if they brought a case, it should be heard or settled out of court as these things can be, but it can't be just summarily dismissed. Do we know when the, the Wickham and Middlesbrough claims were made and why is it that in that time between the claims being made and now, there hasn't been some kind of a resolution or, or an attempt to actually hear the claims and, and you know assess their validity and their legal standing? Yeah, the, the, the cases, again, this is, there's very careful legal wording around all this. The, mm. the, the indications that the cases were being brought were brought before Derby went into administration, but then the cases can't be brought against the company administration. So they are hanging around, but they've not actually been made into real legal cases right now, which obviously adds another twist to it. Um, you know, one solution would be that there would be a settlement agreed by a preferred bidder, new owner, let's say, purely numbers out of the air that they agreed to pay Steve Gibson 5 million and Wickham 1 million. That was part of the payment that the new preferred bidder would take. That would settle the claims. Derby could then move down the route of uh, exiting administration from there. But at the moment, while there's no settlement in place with those groups or a legal case heard, which will take a long time to come through the courts, which Derby don't have, nor the money to fight those claims right now, um, that's where we are. Uh, you know, it is... We highlighted some options um, after a, a long late night discussing them on Monday. And, you know, the options are that a preferred bidder could 
take on these cases and say, you know what, I'm going to take on a live case and I will run it through the courts because I believe it has no standing and ultimately we will win and that's it. But from what we were told by the administrators all through this is none of the bidders want to take that risk on. There is always a risk in a legal case you lose. And if the numbers are, you know, totaling around 40 to 50 million pounds, that's a big liability to be taking on when you're buying a football club that's already costing you in mm. that similar sort of region. And is there also an issue where the EFL, uh, you know, in terms of proof of funds, which we know, especially the EFL and the the rigorous testing that goes through new new owners is very different as to what it was under a previous regime a few years ago. Would any potential new owner have to provide not only proof of funds to run the club day to day now to, to get the club to the end of the season, but also to foot that bill if it did come to, to those tens of million pounds being owed? We don't know that for sure. This that's in that's in the sort of the bit that's not spoken um, in either statement from the EFL or or Quantum. I think it's more a case of of the fact that the owner is willing to recognise those claims um, and at least deal with them rather than as I say dismiss them into this restructuring framework. The probably added added complication to this is that this restructuring um, mechanism for exiting administration has only existed in the UK since January 2021. So it's only had about a dozen cases go through in the UK, none of which have been football clubs. So this is, again, uncharted waters for the football industry. And so the EFL are having to make rules. I'm not going to say make up as they go along, because that sounds like they're mm. making up, but having to uh, bring in new rules as they go along because this is a new situation that they've never had to approach before. There's a petition that I tweeted a link to yesterday. Um, I mean, not necessarily encouraging people to sign it, but if you you know are, are a fan of another club, you're a Derby fan, and you want to see some extra scrutiny, um, this petition itself on change.org calls for uh, the sports minister, uh, basically, to, to look at the case, just some scrutiny from the government. Um, but in that petition itself... Uh, it mentions a kind of loophole that you mentioned a second ago where um, companies under administration effectively, um, you know, that, that there are different laws of arbitration when it comes to companies in administration. I've seen a few people on social media say that wouldn't necessarily be the case with Derby County. Do you know um, how factually correct that line of argument is? Yeah, it, and this is where the, the difference comes between what is the legal requirement on administrators and what is the requirement related to the EFL and football creditors? So if, mm -hmm. if our understanding is, is that if the EFL had opined that these legal cases would not be deemed to be football creditors, then that restructuring and the, the cram down claim um, would pretty much just have gone through and that's it. Um, but uh, as I say, having been recognised as football creditors now, for Derby to exit administration without a further penalty and i'll come back to that in a minute um they would have to pay football creditors 100 pence in the pound uh, and as such it seems like the efl are insisting that those cases are heard and then paid 100 100 pence in the pound whatever it might be the punishments is the interesting bit because you know we've all been talking about this number 40 to 50 million in terms of buying derby to get out of uh, administration that's the number that if you do the sums in terms of paying the secured creditors in terms of paying the football creditors 100% and then paying everybody else at least 25% which is the rules for exiting administration not to have any further punishment it is possible if you take it purely into a insolvency framework that the administrator could say you know what the best money we're going to get for this club is 30 million pounds that's more than liquidation therefore we propose that it exits um, administration by this route 
But of course, then that number will be significantly under the EFL rules. Mm. Now, the EFL rules suggest that the um, the points deduction for that is 15 points in the next season. But presumably, there's a point at which you can't just blatantly, flagrantly flaunt those rules and say, well, we're actually just going to pay them virtually nothing now. And this is where there were stories floating around yesterday around Derby's golden share and could that get taken away on the 1st of February if sufficient funds have not been shown. That's not been proven anywhere or stated anywhere by the EFL. It was just a story in the media. Who knows? I mean, you know, I'd be very surprised if the EFL wanted to compromise the integrity of its competition and force a club out midway through the season just for all the complications that would um, present. I, I suspect they would do everything to try and get Derby to at least the end of the season and then review then. But this story is floating around and given everything else that's happened in recent months <laughs> and years, um, Derby fans are not ruling anything out right now. We're talking about stories in the media and I'm leading you on you heavily here to, to know all the answers to everything. But um, in The Athletic, in, in David Ornstein's Monday column today, uh, there was a piece on you know, potentially good news in terms of the case. Um, he says, uh, but Quantuma Derby's administrator has spotted a provision in the Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act 2020 that an- appears to enable them to knock a huge chunk of Derby's debts and render the claims from Middlesbrough and Wickham effectively irrelevant. The plan is to offer the taxman the same 25p in the pound as the unsecured creditors and to give two clubs, the two clubs chasing damages, nothing was put to the FL board last week, along with assurances Derby could fulfil their fixtures for the season without having to accept what Quantum offers, Lowball offers for the club's best players. Now, you know, that was published this morning, um, given the news over the weekend and the seemingly impending transfer of Graham Shinney to Wigan for £30,000. Um, you know, that seems quite at odds with what we're seeing going on in front of our eyes. So, so do you know if there's any you know, that you know, David Ornstein is probably one of the most reliable football journalists around. So there's got to be something in that. But it, is that the, the kind of the golden leaf that it looks like? We believe that that is what Quantuma, the administrator, were presenting to the EFL last week. And our belief is that it's that solution that is actually causing the impasse. OK. It, it's that, um, as I say, trying to just pass the, um, the Wickham and Middlesbrough claims off as minimum amounts. He says they're nothing, minimal, a pound, 50 pounds, whatever it might be. Um, that, as we understand it, is what the EFL are balking at and saying, you can't do that. Your case needs to be heard. Now, you know, there are, again, various stories around as to whether this will go to arbitration, whether the administrator can appeal on that ruling from, from the EFL. They say it's the first time this situation has been presented um, to a football club anywhere, so a football league anywhere, be it the FL, the Premier League, or, or further down. So it is completely untested, uncharted waters, and where the FL are trying are having to come up with rulings um, on the hoof here. Um, but yeah, as we understand it, that that was that was the plan, but that is what's causing the impasse now. Now again, if in terms of appeals, um, they can convince the FL that actually their first ruling is wrong and it needs to be changed, then I think that would unlock everything and go from there. But that's as we understand it right now. So what do you see happening over the next couple of weeks then? I mean, I know predicting what happens at Tarby County uh, in the last... fall off the shelf here, right? Um... <laughs> I mean, best and worst case scenario. I mean, what, And also, that there will definitely be um, a lot of people listening to this who will be wondering how they can help because, um, you know, people who listen to this podcast generally are those who don't just love their own team, but they love the EFL. Um, 
and, and would want to protect one of its you know crucial members so what can people do how, how do you reckon the next couple of weeks are going to go what's the best case and the worst case um yeah the best case now is that either the efl change their ruling um you know and consumer go through on that but i can see an argument in terms of fairness of dealing with those cases on that you know I, i'm not just purely with my black and white tinted glasses mm. on here um focusing on that so i can see that situation there's then a situation where one of the bidders could say well do you know what if we could agree a sensible settlement i will take that off what i'm willing to pay for the club and all in the package is still the same but i'm going to have to pay less to that less to that and less to that um but that settles the claims and moves us on from there um there is a possibility you know if if this was a normal um somebody buying a club from current owner in a different situation in a different situation not administration um in buying any business the seller would provide the buyer with indemnity against anything that happened um under their watch that then subsequently came to light in this situation right now the, the owner of the club is consumer as the administrator they're not in a position to offer that it's possible highly unlikely i think derby fans to say that mel morris could provide that indemnity if he genuinely believes that the cases are worth nothing and can provide that indemnity for them to see the cases out in court. And if it was to lose, he would cover the costs. Again, I think that's highly unlikely. Um, you know, at the moment, it seems like negotiation between um, an owner coming in with a with a bid that includes a settlement with uh, the owners of those two clubs or the FL changing their, their mind on their first ruling is as good as it's going to get for Derby. Now, what can everybody else do about it? I think the, the key in this is, yeah, and very much around that petition, is just getting awareness out there of we're actually now possibly close to the liquidation of Derby County Football Club. And if it was the case, it wouldn't be the first club to be liquidated, but I think it would be the largest so far. I don't want to offend anybody by, by somebody claiming that there has been no, a no. larger one. I don't think there has been a larger one. I don't think there has been one, you know, with the the history that Derby has, with the the positioning in the championship, um, with the founder member state, with, you know, two league titles, one, um, you know, in the last 50 years, that, that kind of, I think it would be a huge step. And it's not just about a football club and its fan base. It, it is, you know, you've been to Derby. It's a football city. You know, the, the football uh, club, lives and breathes through the city when the club's doing well the town is buzzing when the result hasn't been great on saturday monday morning is not a great day around the businesses of derby um and that's the way and you will get other fans saying well you know what you've had it coming to you and you know there are plenty of derby fans who will say yes they enjoyed the times under mel morris there were some who looked at what was going on and said this isn't right there's something not right but like many football fans most football fans don't sit there and, and pour through the accounts and try and work out whether the, the guy running the club is doing right or not. Are they buying players? Are we winning games? Yes, I'm happy to support. As more and more has come out in the last few months, people have realised that, you know, what errors Mel Morris has made in running the club, the issues that he has caused um, and the situation now, you know, is clearly very serious. Um, and so, you know, it's natural for some clubs' immediate reaction to say, oh, well, you told us you've got the EFL on strings. Now you're going to get what's coming to you. And I think there are plenty of dog fans who say, yes, Mel Morris absolutely deserves what might have been coming to him. But do we, as innocent fans who haven't really had any say in the goings-on of, of all this, do we really deserve to lose our club? 
yes, relegated to League One, we'll take that. If it was relegated to League Two, I think you know there are a lot of fans right now who would say, if you can guarantee that we've still got a club, we take relegation to League Two. Let's rebuild, let's start out, let's get a club that's sustainable um, and come back and go from there. So I think that's all Derby fans really would be asking for now is you know a little bit of um, you know support from other fans that you know there but for the greater good any of our clubs could go there there have been a number of clubs who've been there and, and it's been great to support Derby <coughs> had, like the Blackpool and Bournemouth who've been through similar situations with their owners uh, and have come back stronger um, it's been great to see that and I think that's that's all we would say you know we've got a big Derby match coming up with Forest in in um, in the coming weeks but you know I've had messages from Forest fans saying that as much as the banter and the uh, yeah, the, the fight between the two fans is there. Nobody really wants to see their local rivals completely disappear. Um, you know, we we all love putting it on on our rivals and seeing them getting relegated and all this kind of thing. But you know, seeing your club as fans disappear, um, I don't think any fans really, when they look in their heart of hearts, want to see that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I've seen some of the discourse over the last kind of 48 hours or so and interesting to see those fans who do the, the, the smattering of fans who think that the Derby and, and their fans deserve everything coming to them quite often seem to be Forest fans or, or, or Leeds fans but I you know, I'm an Oxford fan uh, Swindon were in a, in a fairly similar position although not quite as perilous back in in June and July and um, you know the idea of not being able to go to another Oxford Swindon game was, was one of the saddest experiences I could I could really think of you know this is a football club with an amazing history that predates Mel Morris by a long way. Um, there were what, over 20,000 fans at the game seeing Derby beat Sheffield United on the weekend as well. Taking away um, their club would just rip a massive hole into into their lives. And we've seen with Berry fans just how incredibly hard it's been for a community and for a, for a town to have to deal with the loss of that club and you mentioned there you know Derby are a bigger club they're not a more important club but we need to do everything we can to ensure this stops happening and I think the Tracy Crouch fan-led review um, if it's taken seriously by the government will go some way to do that but as a football community and as the EFL now we need to do everything we can to prevent Derby from from going out of business because even though as you mentioned it was financial cheating um, there have been punishments put on the club such as the transfer embargo and the points deduction which which harm the club on the pitch which is fair but yeah I think to take the club away from the fans completely is, is punishing the wrong people who you know at, at worst you know their worst crime was turning a blind eye to a football club whilst experiencing success and I think plenty of us would have been guilty of that especially at a time where I think sustainability in football wasn't such a buzzword and we didn't necessarily understand everything that goes into it so um, hopefully those listening will uh, will agree and fingers crossed Nigel next time we speak Derby County in a much more stable position and we aren't talking about any possibility of, of the club going out of business. Thank you, George. And yeah, I think yeah, the other thing to mention really is you, know, you mentioned the game on Saturday against Sheffield United and the crowd that was there. The fans have, have got behind this team so well. And you know, for so many people, uh, this time last year when Wayne Rooney was appointed, there were so many comments of Wayne Rooney's not the man that a club in this situation needs. You cannot fault a thing that Wayne Rooney or the players have done for this club this season, even to get them into a position where they may even have been able to overcome 21 points. I think now with the selling off of players, it's probably highly unlikely. But to even get them off the bottom of the table as they did on Saturday is a huge effort. And and I think all fans, you know, if if the rumours are true about you know, Everton's interest, um, 
then they would wish well, Wayne well in that and thank him for everything he's done. If he can see to stay on at Derby County and carry on his amazing work, the fans to a man would be absolutely behind him. Absolutely. Unbelievable job from Wayne Rooney and an amazing, amazing support from from uh, from Derby fans. The last few games, the highest attendances yet this season. And I'm sure that will continue as long as the home games go ahead. Really great to have Nigel on to explain a lot of that uh, in such a measured way as well, despite clearly, as all Derby fans are going through something of, of the emotional ringer right now. And what's happening on the pitch is only adding to the emotional ringer but thankfully in an incredibly positive way tell me about derby 2 sheffield united nil yeah going into this um phil jagielka has despite wanting to stay at the club despite the club wanting to keep him uh, had left the club meaning richard stearman came in alongside curtis davis no graham shinney who has gone to wigan for the poultry i mean i cannot believe the fee the rumored fee is thirty thousand pounds um, so I think if you, you know, if you're if you're wondering just how um, difficult, how how desperate basically Derby are for money, the fact they're selling Shinny for thirty grand, I think tells you a hell of a lot. Coming into this one, I think it felt like, you know, as Nigel mentioned just a second ago, that the the absent players were going to start to have an effect on their ability to to pick up points. So to win this game two nil in the manner that they did was incredibly impressive. You know, they didn't by any stretch um, dominate the game, but they were always in the game and they didn't really let Sheffield United get too close to them, to be honest. They didn't create too many good chances. But the quality of the two goals, I mean, for for Tom Lawrence to score two goals like this, given the situation, given the circumstances, given what's at stake, I think is one of the most impressive individual performances of the season so far and maybe even beyond that because... The first goal is absolutely ridiculous. Like I, I, I don't think it's getting enough credit. I think because of, of the noise around the off-field problems, and rightly so, we're forgetting that Lawrence has, has scored two goals of the highest quality. And that first one, his feet, uh, it almost looks like he doesn't even know what he's doing for, uh, about halfway through it. But he's the, you know, the 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 speed of his feet, the balance and the poise, and then able to get past the man and shoot into the far corner is. Unbelievable! It's an unbelievable goal, and the second, Fessieberseli with two massive tackles just on the edge of his own box, and an incredible break. You know, he runs basically the full length of the pitch before laying it off. It looks like Lawrence might be offside. Uh, it's hard to really see from from the angle we've got. It's pretty marginal, but it's not given. And then just an amazing curling finish into the top left-hand corner. Um, that is just a, a remarkable. Um, individual performance from Lawrence just those two moments of quality to get another vital three points it takes them off bottom they are now level on points with Barnsley with a much better goal difference so as I always say if you're relegating Derby you're relegating Barnsley as well because they are a far better footballing side than than Barnsley at the moment you know lights clear of them and um and yes you know are are they going to lose more players I think I've seen a couple of places um report that Lawrence is coming in for some interest um Bielik, now that he's fit, is probably going to come in for some interest as well. You have no doubt that Bird and Knight will will do too. Whether they're able to keep hold of these players, we don't know. Whether the players will want to stay, if, if there are going to be issues, whether they're even going to be a, a team in, in a couple of weeks, we aren't sure, as just discussed with Nigel. But in terms of the, the job that Rooney and Rossini are doing there um, is is just quite incredible. And and I, I honestly think that as you know, a, a few weeks ago, the results looked unsustainable. You know, it, looked, it felt like they were getting battered in games and finding a way to win them. That is not the case now. They are so, so tidy um, in terms of, of 
their structure and the way they set up. And they are now a team who are creating opportunities in games as well. Um, and it's just an incredible story. And, you know, ignoring everything that's going on off the pitch, what they're managing to do week in, week out is is, is just remarkable. Georgia, this means that Derby have won four of their last five league games. These six teams that are with Derby in 18th place and below in the championship, between them have won one game in accumulatively last five games. So six teams there, 30 games between them, one win. Derby, four wins in their last five. Six teams, 15 points in 30 games. That's not a lot of points. What I'm saying is, George, Derby County, eight points to safety as we record. Of course they can stay up. Of course they can stay up. They can absolutely stay up. Call me Jonathan Van Ram. Because <laughs> I'm on the Derby County wagon. Here we go. It's taken a while. I wasn't ready for the wagon, but I'm on it now. And even if it does feel a little like death by a thousand cuts in terms of their <laughs> squad being picked off because of the off-field situation, on it, I'm all in. I'm all in. And I apologise for my tardiness. I mean, it takes a big man to admit when they're wrong. And I just hope that this isn't now going to trigger the <laughs> the reverse of what we saw before. And, and you know, you were, that you're, you were cursed. And it was your curse that was keeping them getting these points. And now you've broken the curse that it's not all going to fall apart around us. At least if that does happen, and everyone else understands what I've always thought, which is that the weight of my words can you know really change dictate how football teams perform yeah then at least we could start using that power for good which yes, I, I, okay. don't, I don't think we're harnessing it as well as we could do right now anyway yeah let's go to league one here last week chris wood got the headlines in the premier league in league one fleetwood beating rotherham one nil what a win mm. for the cod army where did that come from yeah i did put up rotherham as, as my lay on the betting show um it has felt a little bit like Rotherham and their form has started to slide. I foolishly went on a Rotherham forum um, on Saturday afternoon after the game to see what they were saying and remarkably um, saw some criticism of of the manager saying he isn't good enough and you know they're never going to get out of this league with him in charge, which I've given his ability to get this team out of this league uh, consistently surprised me a bit. Um, there's no doubt that Rotherham's current form is 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 on the slide a bit and that's a bit of a concern i do think this as i mentioned on the betting show this um result isn't necessarily as bad as um as it looks i think fleetwood are a side to watch i think fleetwood are a side who are going to improve you know harrison was very very good up top again uh, jules came in on the, in the left hand side of the of the back four nciala came on for johnson at half time they switched to a back three and nciala was very popular got the assist for the goal as well which was scored very late on from pilkington um, as I mentioned on on Quest, I have no doubt now that Harrison, uh, Jules and Enciala are now Fleetwood's three best players, along with Alex Kent and Goal. Um, they're three players, they, outfield players they just didn't have last week. Uh, but because of the sale of, of James Hill, they've been able to bring them in. So um, they are a side on the up. Uh, Greg hit the woodwork um, at one point. Um, interesting to see that Freddie Ladapo was on the bench uh, despite his transfer request, but did not come on. That does feel like it may have rocked the boat a little bit with Rotherham. Um, but you know, we expect teams to have moments of, of poor form, of, of dips, and it's how they respond to that that is so important. Rotherham have a couple of home games now, um, although the games against Lincoln and Cheltenham would have looked a lot easier. 
a couple of weeks ago than they do now. Two teams who have who have kind of arrested their own slides in recent weeks. Uh, we'll probably talk about the Lincoln game in a second. But you know, even though they they lost that game, they uh, there wasn't a massive dip in terms of their of their performance. So uh, a big week ahead um, with the midweek game and then a game on Saturday for Rotherham. Two home games, and I think they will feel and their fans will feel like they need um, at least four points, probably six points, in order to to re-steady the ship. Yeah, I mean, they looked invincible, didn't they, for two months. Now it looks like you can absolutely vince them if you if you play your best. Uh, Wickham beat Oxford 2-0. They are our League One league leaders. Curtis Thompson with a lovely strike to put them ahead. Hanlon with a good performance playing up front in the absence of Vokes. A really encouraging display from him and, and capped it off with a good goal as well. George, not a fun one to be on the other end of, but... It's worth repeating, the zeal with which Wiccan Wanderers defend every single lead that they take is absolutely amazing. They are the boa constrictors of the EFL. Do not let them wrap themselves around you. You will not escape their death grip. Uh, And it sounded, from what I read, George, that Yellows started pretty well, went behind, and actually from that point, rather than ramping it up and rather than putting a ton of pressure on, whether it was poor Oxford performance and heads dropping or whether it was the boa constrictor of the EFL having you in your in their death grip um, you know it, it kind of didn't you know there was no grandstand finish Wickham just saw it out which seems pretty significant given that the you know two three weeks ago these two teams would have been on a, a fairly similar points tally and now there's nine points between them yeah I think it's a, it's a classic game where Oxford fans will tell you that they were very poor but actually when you look at it it was it was Wickham's um ability just to basically just manage the game so well uh, Gareth McCleary was the best player on the pitch pretty sore for Oxford fans for him to tweet after the game that he's used to be a season ticket holder and it's the only club he's ever wanted to play for um but when he wanted to join before he joined Wickham he was told he was too old and therefore went to Wickham and the rest um, is history. He was he was very impressive. Oxford were the better side for the first 20 minutes, had a couple of chances, didn't put them away, and were made to pay for it. A brilliant strike from Thompson for the first goal, um, and then just abysmal defending for the second, um, but Hanlon taking it well. Uh, yeah, I mean, they were very, very good value for their lead. Some unsavoury scenes as well, reports of, of some homophobic chanting from Oxford fans. Just worth me saying, you know, I've been a season ticket holder for um, 25 years. Uh, and I have never heard any kind of bigotry or anything like that before. So, um, you know, it doesn't have any place within fan bases. And, and if, you know, whoever did it um, has no place uh, as an Oxford fan that does not speak for us in any way. Uh, interesting to note, um, Pete Kuig, who we've had a few chats with in the past, uh, you know, who's a, the CFO at Wickham, tweeting after the game it's not a derby and i just want to say pete i completely agree no matter how much you try and make it a derby it never will be wish you all the best for the rest of the season doncaster and wigan not a derby wigan won 2-1 here (laughs) um it, it seems like and maybe not for the first time this season the fans were left thinking not a great performance but we've won three points and that is a hell of a character trait that this wigan athletic side appear to have and quite notably, that some of their peers don't seem to have. Uh, in this instance, it was McLean to power for the first goal. It was a brilliant delivery from Tom Pierce onto the header wheel. Keane for the second goal, Bosch. And Donny did pull one back. I actually think it was one of those rare goals where the goal scorer had no idea what had happened, but has a goal to <laughs> his name. So well done. And Wigan, probably most notably in the last week or so, have, have strengthened, haven't they? Josh McGuinness yes. and Graham Shinney, two championship players joining the Wigan wagon and 
<laughs> I just want to flag up to to those who who might not have made the link in their own mind. Um, it's it's not nice to see players getting picked off from a club in distress like Derby County are. Shinny clearly being being sold um, for under market value. What I will say that the Wigan fans will be thinking is this was their experience, wasn't it, last year? Um, yeah. They were in financial discre- uh, distress and they will feel this is some sort of freakish karma, I suppose, for, for, for that. They watched Kiefer Moore and Jamal Lowe leave for miles less than, than what they were worth and score 35 goals combined in the Championship last season. They developed Joe Gelhard, who looks like he could be the future of Leeds United's attack and who knows what else he could he could achieve and, and they lost him for pittance. Cal Naismith, who I wrote the ode to earlier on the pod, he left for free last January, one of the Championship players of the season this year. So I'm by no means delighting in the Derby situation, but I thought I would point that out. Um, shout out to Accrington, yeah. who came back from a goal down to draw against Sunderland with 10 men. Impressive resolve. Uh, Sunderland fans really frustrated with that one and understand some of the worst defending I've ever seen yeah particularly after a really sloppy poor display and defeat to an impressive imps side in midweek but Pompey won MK Dons too George this was uh, an NTT 20 derby really because we made our mid-season picks last week we had five big uh, sort of head-to-head you've picked one team I've picked another uh, and this was one of the classico fixtures of those picks and Alec wins it MK Dons going to Portsmouth, Easy. leaving with all three points. They seem to they seem to be better at these games this season. Do you feel that they seem to have an extra well, bit of extra steel, bit of extra grit? It's hard to measure, isn't it? But I think of an away win at Wigan. I think of this away win, and I think did we see that last year? I don't know if we did. I think this is uh, one of those games where. <laughs> You, you can make a case for any result being a fair result, to be honest. MK Dons went into a two-goal lead and, and probably deserved it. Um, the goal from Corbino is one of the best of the of the day uh, across the EFL. A brilliant strike. And he is a player who I think will give them a very different um, attacking look because it was three up front. Um, normally it was Twine and one other uh, so far this season. Normally, well, in recent weeks, uh, Issa, but this time it was three up top. And that is a pretty terrifying attack of Twine, Issa and, and Corbin. Both, all three very different players, all three having different skill sets, but all three very, very capable of, of hurting teams in the final third. And, and that was an amazing finish from him and his arrival. You know, he was popular with, with Wednesday fans. They were pretty nonplussed. Um, I think it's a pretty sad... Um, it's quite telling of Sheffield Wednesday's demise when one of their best players is being recalled and sent out to MK Dons. I think they will feel like that is not a situation they feel like they should be getting themselves in for. But at 2-0, Pompey massively came back into the game. You know, they got an equaliser. Well, they got one back, sorry, through Hurst. They had plenty of chances in the second half as well. Um, and they will feel like they probably could have taken a point and if they had, or, or even more had they, had they got the equaliser um when they felt they should have done so a, a, you know two very good sides two sides who played okay in the game uh, but a big three points for mk um taking three points as well off a team who they are going to be vying for that top spot top six spot with the pain of seeing corbiano's sweet like maple strike the canadian of course uh for wednesday fans would have been that they had a hell of a day themselves beating argyle 4-2 
Uh, a really, really strong Sheffield Wednesday performance. And it feels great to be able to say that. Not enough of that either recently or over the season as a whole. Luongo always seems to be a common thread, George, in these really good Sheffield Wednesday performances. Um, and it's notable that he's played, what, four games worth of minutes this season. I think Josh Windass, who scored a nice goal towards the end, similar lack of minutes this season due to injuries. If those two were to be fit, consistently from now to the end of the season then again I'd say we're looking at a slightly uh, a slightly different team a much stronger team than the Wednesday that we've seen so there's all these factors that go into the, the melting pot that is the League One promotion race this made it more interesting of course Wednesday getting closer to uh, Argyle in the playoff places there's now well there's three points between them Argyle in seventh Wednesday in eighth I just think it's interesting to look at the this isn't really praise if I'm honest looking at Wednesday starting 11 and and I know that players are much more fluid in their positioning these days, but most players, I think we still think, have a, a natural position, shall we say. Wednesday don't have many players in this 3-5-2 playing in what I would consider their natural position or where they've played most of the football in their career. Peacock Farrell, goalkeeper, for the most part. Um, <laughs> you've got Palmer, Liam Palmer, mostly a right-back, now plays right-centre-back. That's fine. Marvin Johnson as a left centre-back. I think that has definitely surprised some people this season. Sam yeah. Hutchinson's played the majority of the games in his career in defensive midfield, is now at the heart of the back three. So I'd say that's a zero of three in the, in the back line. You've got Mendes Lang, a winger at wing-back, uh, and Hunt, kind of the opposite, a, a right-back at right wing-back. And I suppose combined, that that kind of makes sense. Bannon, Luongo, Deli Bashiro, brilliant. Three centre-mids playing in the heart of midfield. Uh, Gregory up top and he's obviously a, a, a poacher type Sal I, I still haven't quite worked out what his best position is so I guess we'll say that's fine but I suppose the the thing I would say is and it harks back to what you said a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Wednesday and it was doom and gloom the 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 way they've built this squad doesn't actually look ideal for what they needed this season it, it doesn't look particularly well put together and that's hard to do in in a in a summer particularly when you've gone down you're probably cutting costs as well they've got to put together more performances like this and you know well done to these guys for performing at that level when playing maybe in not their natural positions um, but maybe it's not ideal in the long run uh, we're going to need to up the ante here Jill's one Burton three or Lincoln nil Cambridge one which one do you like there I'll take Lincoln nil Cambridge one um, because Lincoln you know they've, they've put in a couple of massive performances against Oxford and, and Sunderland and win, won both of them comfortably uh coming into this one i think most people myself included expected them to continue that run especially with cambridge having had a, a, a you know a weekend that understandably probably took a lot out of them uh, by going up to newcastle and beating them one nil um and the game didn't really alter from that i thought um lincoln were, were probably the best side in the game there wasn't a massive tip in quality they missed a couple of i think they had four big chances in the game um you know they missed chances but what an amazing week for Joe Ironside who was the man who scored the goal at Newcastle um, and then nods in very very late to give Cambridge a, a huge three points and, and puts them on 30 points for the season 16th um, and you know keeps them at arm's length from the relegation zone um, they are just having an, an unbelievable season um, and this you know we've, we've seen Cambridge do this a lot under Mark Bonner and you know we keep saying it's not sustainable but they keep doing it where you know, they, they hang on in games. They are a side who, you know, it's rare to see Cambridge winning a game by not conceding chances and just by seeing out a game. They often kind of live on the edge but seem to be have this ability to get over the line in front. And that was what happened here. I mean, 
if I'm Dimitrov, I'm like, yeah, George, great week for Joe Ironside. The only reason <laughs> he had the opportunity to score two winners was because I keep making insane saves. One of the keeping performances of the season in League One, I dare say, amazing save, particularly from Cullen, who's making his debut for Lincoln on loan from Swans. Seven shots on target in total at Mitov. No goals again. Uh, amazing performance. Uh, Burton went behind early to Jills, who are obviously Steve Evanless and, and Steve Lovell, the caretaker, filling in. The, the Jills team, I'm afraid to say, has almost nothing about them at the moment. Um, the, the departure of Evans didn't seem to give them a huge boost, even when you know going ahead so early in this game um, with uh, a set-piece goal. Burton were um, probably not at their free-flowing best, and they didn't need to be to, to win this one comfortably. Hamer and Borthwick-Jackson, the wing-backs, possibly stand out for Burton here. I'm just interested in, in one of Burton's decisions in the transfer market this week. They, they were happy to let Hemmings leave for Tranmere. Now, he hasn't always been... Uh, a starter this season after scoring pretty regularly last time out. He goes to a Tramia side. I think we're pretty excited about him going to a Tramia side because his goal-scoring record at basically all levels, whenever he's been a starter, is very good. And they seem happy to do that because they've got Gassan Ahadme on a permanent. Um, and that's an interesting one. You know, he <laughs> I seem to remember him scoring a hat-trick in pre-season and people telling us to put bets on him to be top goalscorer for Portsmouth, where he was on loan, and he scored one goal, and now he's moved permanently to Burton. So it's a funny one. I like Hemmings, but I suppose if their stance is we want to sign younger players, try and build assets and try and improve the, the, the financial status of the club that way by developing players and selling them on, understanding perhaps our, our current place in the League One food chain and, and trying to improve it through good player trading and development, then you know, it's an approach that you can understand. But uh, in the short term, I, don't, I can't convincingly say that Ahadme is a better player than Hemmings, who's someone that I like quite a lot. So it's an interesting one. Um, Bolton 2, Ipswich 0. Probably shouldn't have saved this one for last because it was very uh, an impressive result, you have to say. Uh, and Bolton, I think they probably just needed one like this. They've beaten a really good team here. Um, they've scored an excellent first goal, really nice free-flowing pass and movement football. Um, and a, a big win in, in front of a, a much happier crowd. So I'd like to see them build from here. I think they can do because Bolton have been pretty active, haven't they, in the transfer market so far. And, and I like all the signings. They've got Aaron Morley in from Rochdale. He went straight into midfield. Uh, they've got Dion Charles. He's gone straight up top. Fossey, uh, I think he was their man of the match from what I read um, in this game as well. So there's a three players straight into the starting 11 having signed in the first few weeks of January. Um, yeah, don't count out another strong second half of the season from Bolton, even if they have been quite poor in the last few weeks is what I'm saying there. Uh, we got League bad, 2. Um, just, just bad. I think we need to mention it, which is defending as well. Just I know bad. trying to be quick. But it was, yeah, I mean, Kieran McKenna has some work to do because it was poor from Christian Walton um, to uh, spill the shot from Morley straight into Lee's path. And then for Edmondson, it was very strange because Affalion was kind of next to him. And then Edmondson, Edmondson took kind of a look over both, both shoulders, didn't see Affalion. I don't know where he thought he'd gone given that he was about a second before, right right next to him, rolls the ball back to Alton. Affaline nips in and, and scores the goal. Interesting to note that Affaline coming off the bench to score that goal. So um, his first since October. Um, but I mean, Bolton are, are a side who kind of data-wise have been flagged as one who who probably will have an upturn in form. And, and this might just be the start of that. 
We're going to bat League Two between ourselves. Quite a lot of comfortable wins over the weekend. Forest Green and Northampton, first and third. They drew 1-1. We probably could talk about that game for quite a long time. A lot of controversy, a lot of back and forth between the fans on Twitter over the last few days. But we've no time to talk about draws this week. Why don't we talk about second place Tranmere and fourth place Swindon instead, George. I'll let you choose between Tranmere's 2-0 home win against Rochdale, Swindon's 3-1 win at Vale. Swindon's 3-1 win at Vale. That red card is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Sorry, Vale fans. That is one of the funniest <laughs> red cards I've seen this season. Well, I mean, and it's also just a blatant red as well. Um, you know, I don't know what he's doing. I imagine given it's McCurdy, um, McCurdy must have been in Covaland's ear all first half. And eventually he sought to himself, you know what? I reckon if I kick him whilst I'm catching a ball, no one's going to notice. And then if I fall over and I pretend I'm injured for two minutes, then there's no way they're going to notice. Whereas all he's done is he's just stuck his studs right into McCurdy, um, who is not a player who needs a second chance to go down and try and get a player sent off. And it was rightly so. Um, It was a shame because it was a couple of, you know, it was a really good first half, very end to end. Um, But that changed the game entirely. And and Swindon were were very good value, of course. And they had 20 shots to to Port Vale's five. It looked for a, you know, for a second, like Swindon were going to, after their brilliant start, were going to fall away. Um, But a couple of, you know, two wins in their last three, a decent performance away at Mansfield as well in midweek. In the game, they lost 3-2. but going into those three games against Northampton, Mansfield and Port Vale, um, I don't think many people would have had them down to score 10 goals and get six points. Um, so a good week or so for Bengana, who are proving that they are still in the mix at the top end. Yeah, really impressive win, you know, even against the the 10 man, the 10 men of Vale, that first goal that Swindon scored against a full complement of Valiance. Particularly impressive, those nice patterns of play that Garner insists on. Um, which I dare say sometimes frustrate the Swindon fans, who uh, some of which, probably not the people that listen to this podcast, just want him to get it forward. Get mm. it forward. Wow. That 1-0 goal. Uh, amongst the best team goals scored this season. Passing and movement, excellent. They've they got a, a funny old thing going on, Swindon. Their record against the other teams at the top of League Two is sensational. And that's why it, it can be a bit surprising that they're not higher in the table with more points, because... That game against Forest Green that was on Sky, they were excellent, weren't they? Uh, I think I, I think I declared that they were clearly the second best team in the league after Forest Green at that point. They haven't really lived up to it consistently since then. But again, going to Vale and winning three-one, eye-catching result. Richard, who's on the NTT Twenty squad, absolute excellent contributor on there on the League Two channel, um, covering Swindon brilliantly. Notes that of their forty points this season, twenty of them have been in the ten games against the seven other clubs in the top nine of the table so um, an interesting one a quirk for sure and if they could get better at tucking away the teams down towards the bottom um, then certainly they'll be challenging in the top three come May George before I talk about Tramia Dale you, you did actually want to talk about Forest Green 1 Northampton Town 1 I'm not a fan of draws but you're a fan of controversy well I think we just have to talk about this because it was a massive game between two sides who are vying to get promoted and it was there were talking points beyond just the draw um the controversy in the equalizer Pinnock scoring for cobblers is 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 basically none Nicky Cadden I don't know how I mean he he's done so much right this season that we have to point out when when he does something wrong so for him to uh, go down the way he did in the 94th minute. Um, basically, just collapsed when the when the player that he's um, that he's kind of standing 
behind. You know, I've an always arc. been Kane Wilson till I die, and you wouldn't have spotted Kane doing that. Well, I mean, the only thing I can assume is that either he's. I, it, it just seems so weird to go down like that, hoping to get a free kick. He must have been caught in the eye, I'm, I'm assuming. But either way, it was not a foul, and it's a totally fair equaliser. But Cobblers fans, Cobblers players, Cobblers manager, John Brady, and Cobblers social media accounts are all totally convinced that Forest Green's um, goal through Matt Stevens didn't go in. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it did go in. I have absolutely no idea, nor does anybody else. John Brady saying after the game that it was a yard <laughs> the other side of the line. That's patently not true. Um, the Northampton uh, Twitter account tweeting a video where <laughs> where the keeper falls down and then his back is just covering the ball. So you can't see where the ball is as proof is bizarre. People tweeting us a quest with photos of the keeper holding the ball on the line when you can clearly see in the video that there is after the initial movement down, there is a movement back. I'm afraid to say there is no proof either way. So stop crying and accept that we don't know. And it may have been the right decision. It may have been the wrong decision. You got a point. Move on. Great stuff. Tramir 2, Rochdale nil, And it's Charlie Jolly again. Talked about him last week, didn't we? Because Jolly good fellow. Somewhat bursting onto the Tranmere Rovers scene. Is that another wagon in, in Wagonuri? No, I'll stay off the wagon for the moment. Um, two nice finishes here. Six starts, four goals, some introduction to the first team and, and clearly uh, an area in which Tranmere were lacking. Pretty much the only area that Tranmere were lacking. If he can keep this up, confident finishes as well, both uh, on his left foot from the right side of the box, across the goalkeeper into the corner. Um, really good stuff, particularly when combined with Elliot Nevitt, who's growing into his life as, a, as an EFL player, having come up a lot of tears from non-league. Uh, and Kane Hemmings having joined, who's doing the opposite. You, know, you look at, uh, I tweeted about this the other day, you can see for yourself on our Twitter account, pretty consistently for nine seasons, Kane Hemmings, wherever he has played, as long as he has started games consistently and been, you know, the, the sort of starting number nine, has scored goals at a, a very, very solid rate. You know, sort of one in three, one in two territory consistently, sometimes better than that. Um I actually saw that, you know, the one period where that wasn't the case was when he was at Oxford. And I thought maybe Oxford fans would have something to say about him not being, you know, he's not all that. He was rubbish when he was with us. And actually Jack, who's on the NTT20 squad, said he quite liked Hemmings and, and felt that that period of time with Oxford just was quite uncertain in general and, and maybe not the best place for a, a player like Hemmings to come in. He didn't really get, well, he wasn't really believed in to the extent that he has been elsewhere. So I think... And I'm not someone that loves to go big on January transfers, but as long as they haven't broken the bank to get him in, which seems unlikely with the Palios um, duo, Mark and Nicola, in charge because they don't break banks, um, I think it's a great signing. I'm excited about it. So I'm, I'm definitely more on the, the Tramir wagon than two weeks ago, than one week ago. Maybe next week I'll be fully on it. Newport 4, Harrogate nil. We were both on, on something of the robbery wagon weren't we last week on our mid-season prediction another wagon um it was kind of the xg ratio wagon more than anything but the 4-0 win against harrogate very pleasing and telford is obviously the story because when you score goals at that level um or at that rate rather at any level uh, you are the story but i must say in the absence or just <laughs> attempting to talk about something other than dom telford every time i watch newport county highlights Cooper and or Azaz do something really good, like really high quality creative attacking play. I think they both did something in this game, but Cooper in particular, he just seems like twice as quick as anyone else. 
just in his general movement and his in his energetic runs in behind. And he seems to have the technical ability as well. And, and every week seems to be improving on that front as well. Incredibly exciting for Swansea fans. Pleasingly, Russell Martin said he's happy with Cooper there for the rest of the season, which for a Newport fan base who lost five loanees, including Scott Twine uh, in January last year, as they were all recalled by their clubs and that somewhat disrupted their season, that would have been very pleasing to see. Azaz also on loan, of course. Uh, so far, I've not seen any suggestion that he would head back to Villa and get farmed out elsewhere. I don't know why he would, because he's clearly in a good place. And Robery, in just a few months, seems to be developing a reputation for good football, for developing and getting the best out of young players. It's exciting times, for sure. Uh, Exeter won 2 0 against Scunthorpe. They sort of they were huffing and puffing. Scunny looked like they were holding firm, but Giovanni Brown was the difference. And I was really pleased to see this because, George, on a, on a WhatsApp group where ordinarily there would be no chat about the EFL because it's people who don't care about the EFL. Heathens, I call them. What are you doing with I, them? I got sent a TikTok. Had to download TikTok to watch a video. And it was like, lol, look at this uh, blunder. Look at this blooper from a League Two player. And it was Giovanni running down the wing trying to keep the ball in at the byline. And instead of just sort of putting his foot on it to stop the ball, he tries to backheel it, completely misjudges it, trips over his own legs and falls over and the ball goes out of play for a goal kick. And it was like, haha, look at Giovanni. And I said, that's quite funny because he's arguably the most skillful player in the whole of League Two. So it's quite funny that he would be the one to go viral for, for looking a bit budget. Um, I got quite protective, if I'm honest. I got a bit angry. Yeah, fair enough. I said, don't so send me should. this stuff. Don't send me this stuff. That's That's horrible. And so his goal from outside the box, curling into the top corner, was lovely. Fair to say I sent that link on pretty quickly. This is the Giovanni that we know and love. Uh, the big question for Exeter is, to what extent Offrande Zanzala in on loan from Barrow can fill the boots of the injured Sam Nombe uh, and, and the threat that he poses in behind stretching defences? Well, good start. Zanzala scoring a goal here to put them 2-0 up. And a, an important win for Exeter who've been on a poor run of form. How about them stags? George, last week, didn't even pick him in my playoff places in the mid-season predictions. This weekend, they win their sixth league game in a row. I realised they're only three points off the autos. Incredible. Um, good um, stats given to us by Hugh Davis with Stags, though, about their home away match um, ratio coming up, where they've got, I think it's eight home games and 14 away games left this season. Their away form is poor. I think they've won three all season. Two of those have come recently, though. But that is quite a large caveat and a bit of a blind spot, I think, that maybe I had when doing the yeah, the pod last week. Um, <clears throat> but again, you know, they they took the lead very early here. Um, they managed the game as well as we'd anticipate uh, Mansfield 2. Um, you know, they were just... Uh, no, they didn't take the lead early. I'm talking nonsense. They took the lead in the second half. But Harry Charlesley with a couple of goals... Um, and they were, were good value for it too. I, it's impossible that this is going to continue at the rate it is at the moment. Um, you know, they aren't. The, the, the teams they're playing, you know, also had a few chances in the game. It wasn't a complete domination. But um, but yeah, I mean, Mansfield do look now well set, but whether or not they can translate that into the abundance of away games they've got coming up and every all the issues that, you know, having a, a lot of away games in a short amount of time brings with it as well. Um, it's going to be the difference between whether they can get into the top seven or if I ultimately just mm. fall short. The big positive about them playing games away from home, improved visibility, George. Mansfield, which I didn't know until about a month ago, must be the foggiest place in the UK. That's, 
that's two games in the last month where you've barely been able to see the ball when watching Mansfield highlights. Uh, incredible stuff. Bradford 2, Salford 1. Important win this for Bradford. And yet, it would be wrong not to point out that the red card of Brandon Thomas Asante, surely the turning point in the game, as it was in the first half, and as Salford, through Thomas Asante, of all people, had just gone 1-0 up. Bradford, at that point, were looking toothless. And then Thomas Asante's elbow knocked out the tooth of Paulie O'Connor, who ended up heading the winning goal not long before time. I'm willing to say, George, well done, Bradford, but let's not get carried away because I am inclined to get carried away when Bradford win. I always feel like they are the sort of team who, under Derek Adams, could put together a run in the second half of the season. But time and time again, when I've allowed myself to get excited, they've let me down. So I refuse to do so off the back of a, a win from behind against 10 men. Uh, important three points. Bristol Rovers, I'd forgotten they actually existed because they hadn't played a league game for over a month. And I'd, I have mm. no idea what sort of nick Bristol Rovers are in, what their form's like, how they're looking. Are they moving up the table? Are they staying where they are? I've no idea. But they did beat Hartlepool 2-0. Late on this one, they had to wait till late. Collins and Evans... Uh, any thoughts on Bristol Rovers? Because I really need to, yeah, I need to update my database here. Not a great deal. Um, a decent win, back-to-back wins for the first time at home this season, which is pretty significant, even though they left it late. Um, it does feel like a bit of stability there now. After a difficult start, they brought in a, f- a few players. Ryan Loft started and made his debut. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a... Um, you know, it wasn't an amazing performance, but up against the Hartlepool side, who've been uh, on the up themselves after Graham Lee's arrival as well. Um, so a, a good three points and something to build on for, for gas. Absolutely. And we have, to finish off, uh, Colchester nil, Barrow 2. Big, big win for Barrow, you have to say, just to give themselves a little bit of breathing space between that group of teams towards the bottom. Uh, the first goal was created, unsurprisingly, by Patrick Bruff, or Deliveroo, as I call him, uh, whipping in the usual excellent delivery, uh, which was turned into his own net by the own goal. Um, Did you know that there were two debut own goals in League Two this weekend? What? Both Dallison and Watson both scoring own goals on their debut. <sighs> the last thing you want, isn't it, George, on your debut? Yes. Well, that and other things as well, like, you know... F- injuring yourself they didn't go full Scor- Woodgate scoring two own goals wow getting sent off I don't know hitting a fan Jesus imagine maybe that's coming next week um, the the problem is that as well as this being a huge win for Barrow it ended up from a neutral's point of view not really being the story because a clip surfaced Saturday night of Colchester owner Robbie Cowling who had a discussion with a fan outside the ground Uh, The fan, as many fans are at the moment, pretty unhappy with the way that he is running the club and their, well, undeniable decline over the last two years from a position of um, being in the League Two playoffs with a quality young squad and a a thriving youth academy system. Uh, They really have been on the the downward trajectory since then. Uh, This game, just the latest in a series of disappointments for their fans. And, And the Colchester fan, in fairness, I've seen the full clip for the added context, was being all right, but just sort of pleading with him to to sell the club or to to try and improve things. And Robbie Cowling said, I don't want to sell the club, which is fair enough to, to, to say. But he then said, it's my club, not your club. And that's the sort of thing that 
even if legally, George, Robbie Cowling might be correct, I think someone who has owned a club for as long as he has will understand the implications of saying that and what that transmits to the fan base and will certainly go no way to improving his relations with them. Uh, he is someone who I've kind of admired his level of communication before in the last few years. I feel like he has communicated quite well with Cole U fans, even as they have declined on the pitch in a way that notably, let's say, the older owners have not done so. Uh, and yet, in this instance, his communication has really let him down. Um, and yeah, it's just not going to help a club who need help. Only a couple of points outside the relegation places at the moment. Four defeats on the bounce. It's not a happy camp whatsoever, it's fair to say. Um, well, what a weekend of EFL action, George. And what a pod to recap it all. Amazing talking to you. It's been so nice talking to you as well. There's no doubt that a weekend like the one that we had makes our life very easy on a Monday. We hope you've enjoyed the breakdown of what was an excellent weekend of EFL action, guys. A chat on Derby County as well. Massive thanks to Nigel Owen for joining us from the Black and White Together supporter group. A massive thank you as well to our sponsors, Betfair. Their support of this podcast allows us to give up a lot of our time to focus on creating the best content that we can and covering these leagues as best as we can. Hope you're enjoying the pod at the moment. Do drop a share if you've enjoyed this episode. It's always good to hear from you at NTT20pod on Twitter. Plenty of excitement to come over the next few weeks and months on the pod, so make sure you're subscribed and you won't miss out on anything. We'll talk again in the second half of the week with a betting show. See you then.